Welcome to Recovery Hidsway. I'm your host, Tom Reynolds, here on the Hidsway campus in Huntsville, Alabama. And today I'm joined with Jesse Mogul. Jesse, good to have you with us. Thank you. Jesse is uh, kind of been interning with us and kind of got started a few months, a couple months ago, I guess, getting to know us and us know him. And I've just really have been fascinated with your story and getting to know you and, and your journey. Uh, maybe to kind of set us up here, you can kind of explain kind of how you intersected with recovery and um, what that has been like for you. Absolutely. Uh, January 12th of 2017, um, I came to, in the darkness of my bathroom, tightening in my heart, numbness in my left arm, uh, completely confused as to where I was and what I was doing. Um, when I finally adjusted to what was happening, I realized that I had blacked out and passed out in my bathtub with the shower running, so ice cold water was surrounding me. Completely numb, my legs, my whole body was numb. I thought I was having a heart attack, I and mean, I may have been, and I dragged myself, crawled out, and laid on the bathroom floor, and I thought I was gonna die. And, um, and I just remember like there was vomit and blood, it was bad. And uh, I just decided in that moment that, that I didn't wanna die, um, which was surprising, because I had been working pretty hard at that to die. Um, consciously trying to die or just yeah, looking I back broke on my it. leg um, about six months earlier and I wasn't conscious okay consciously trying to die it wasn't I didn't you know what I come to realize is I didn't want to die I just wanted to live differently mm-hmm. and I didn't know how mm-hmm. um, and I was so sunk into the addiction that when I broke my leg and I was told I couldn't leave my apartment or pretty much walk for three or four months you know it just the addiction took hold like it had never taken hold before mm-hmm. um that day, waking up in that bathtub, I cried, finally got myself and looked in the mirror, and there was like a ghost, like a, this ghostly monster looking back at me, and I, I wept, and I couldn't believe that I had done this to myself. Um, I left that bathroom hobbling, like holding onto walls, and like again, there was there was a lot of fluids coming from anywhere it could come. <laughs> I walked into my bedroom, and it looked like somebody had thrown a party in there, but it was just me, and it was the, it was like two months of just rage against the world in that bedroom. And I picked up my phone, and I called my hospital, Kaiser Permanente, and I said, I need help. And they said, we can help you. And that was the, that was the first day of the rest of my life. It was uh, a blessing. I, didn't, I, I still to this day can't believe I chose that day, but I think waking up on that bathroom floor, I was so afraid that I might actually die. And it wasn't the death that scared me. It was that people would find me in that condition. Mm-hmm. And I, the bathtub was disgusting. Mm-hmm. So you reached out to him. What happened? Uh, I really they were like, you can come in right now if you want. And I had lied to my work about what my how bad I was because of the leg and everything. And so they had no clue that I was this far gone. So I... They were like, do you want to come in now? I was like, no, actually, I was like, I, I, don't, I know I can't drink anymore. I'll, I'll be fine over the weekend. I'll check myself in on Monday. Like, I couldn't hold liquids down. I'm sure the rest, this is about three or four in the afternoon. I spent the rest of the night trying to continue to drink because I knew it was my last day. And the moment any liquid would go in, it would come right back up. And I just did that till about three in the morning and I had till I could finally fall asleep a little bit. And my job had me come in at 5.30 a.m. I was a breakfast waiter at a hotel. And I had been doing this to myself for... 10 years in Los Angeles at this job, getting up at 5.30 in the morning and mm-hmm. still drinking like I had been. Um, so I worked for the next three days like I was supposed to, and I checked wow. myself in that Monday morning. And uh, yeah, they, they, it was outpatient, so I didn't have to keep going in, but they had meetings every single day I had to attend and therapy and, and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. so I jumped into it. Uh, I just, it was like a switch flipped mm-hmm. laying on that bathroom floor. I was like, 
my dad died in his bath in his bathroom. You know, he worked himself to death, and and coffee and cigarettes killed him. And my mom drank herself to death, and she was found dead in her bed. And I just couldn't imagine that my roommates would find me dead on a bathroom floor with a bathtub full of my own disgustingness. I call it the death tub on my podcast. And I was like, I don't want that to be the lasting image people have of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was what I used as fuel for those first few weeks. And then sobriety just took over. What is, when you say sobriety took over, what is, what is what is that? What is sobriety taking over? I don't do anything, still to this day, I, I'm not a big fan of blanket statements, like always, every time, never, anyone. But I, I can say, like, I have a tendency to take things to the extreme. So I don't just get into video games. I get all in. You know, mm-hmm. I collect baseball cards. I collect them all. And mm-hmm. I become systematically obsessed. Like obsessed with it. That's how my addiction was. I was obsessive compulsive and I just couldn't stop once it started. It's, I was a binge drinker. I could go weeks sometimes without using, but once it touched my lips, I was frank the tank. Mm-hmm. It was on. It sprint to the blackout and I was the only one in the race. So with sobriety, I just took it on like that. I just allowed my my natural extremeness to just take over. Right. So when she was like, hey, there's meetings at 9 a.m., be here at 9 a.m. sharp, I was at the hospital at 8.30. Be here, you know, 15 minutes before therapy, I was there 30 minutes early. You see, and I come here early all the time. It's my natural obsessive compulsiveness to just jump in all on. Mm-hmm. So if somebody's like, oh, you should come to this one meeting, it's going to be great. I'll come to 20 of them. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, you should read this book. This book will really help you. I'll read the book in two days like mm-hmm. I don't just I was like if this is it let's do it mm-hmm. then well, here's the funny thing as I kept booze and I don't recommend this but I, I but I have to be truthful about my story I kept alcohol in my room for six weeks after I started getting sober mm-hmm. I kept a 12 pack of Stella underneath the bed a couple bottles of wine in my clothes hamper and a bottle of Jack in the drawer next to my bed has it it was like if you're serious be serious but if you don't want to be serious I'll make it super easy for you, Drunk Jesse. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sober Jesse was more than happy to make sure Drunk Jesse didn't make that choice. And after six weeks, I gave the booze to my roommates and was like, they're like, you're serious about this, aren't you? I'm like, I don't think I've ever been more serious about anything in my life. Mm-hmm. And where is that seriousness taking you? What's happened? <laughs> in a million years, I could not have seen where it's taken me. You know, uh, from being immersed in the Kaiser program for two years, I mean, just fully immersed, there was a um, addiction, a relapse prevention class I took every single week on Monday nights for two two whole years. Alcohol awareness one on Wednesday nights I took full on, did my therapy every week. But it wasn't just that. Like I've read countless, not just sobriety and recovery books, um, but all the way to reading just health self help books in general. About three months in, someone introduced me to neuro linguistic programming as a way to help overcome trauma and suffering. Um, so I went to a seminar in Florida, spent five grand to fly from Los Angeles to Boca Raton for this, fell in love with it, came back, found somebody to teach it, sunk all my money into it, and to the point where like now I'm an ad- in neuro-linguistic programming trainer. I actually help people use NLP to overcome trauma and addiction, recover from their suffering. Um, I launched two different podcasts. One's called From Sobriety to Recovery. We just hit 200 episodes. Um, I've got tens of thousands of listeners to that and millions, no, not millions, but nearing the half a million download point on that. Um, then I've got a whole tribe I've created for people in addiction recovery to join. So we get on an app and talk. I launched an online academy that helps people understand the psychology of addiction and what's going on in their minds. Then I launched one for college people 
because college is where the addiction took over. So I thought, well, what if I could get to somebody and help teach them emotional intelligence in college so they don't fall into the same trappings I did? So coming up on 170 episodes of that, I've spoken at universities and colleges, major businesses like Disney and Live Nation, places of that nature, um, all talking about this stuff. You know, I plan on you know, writing my addiction recovery book will come out here in the next year or so. Um, I'm a leadership coach and trainer and teacher and, and podcaster. It's like all the things I always wanted to do with my life, I thought we'd be more sports related. I was obsessed with sports and wanted to be a sports broadcaster mm -hmm. when I was a kid. I just turned all of those talents I had learned in order to do that in Los Angeles, just turned them towards sobriety and recovery. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, I get messages on Instagram about how like with, until I found you, I just didn't think sobriety was for me. But now that I've heard your voice and the way you explain it, I totally get it. And I can't wait for the rest of my life. I get messages like that every day. Mm -hmm. And uh, <laughs> I'm just a dude. That's awesome. Yeah. Just a dude. That's fantastic. For our audience, explain the neuro-linguistic programming. Um, so it's the way that your mind uses languages to program your behavior. And it starts in the womb. You know, you're already, you're already hearing sounds and feeling things inside. But once you come out into the world, you're just, everything is there. And your mind is feeding you millions of bits of data every second. And you're just trying to make meaning of it. And at a young age, we don't know as children how to make meanings of things. We're still using a very emotionally centered brain. The triune brain is all about reptilian, mammalian, and then rational thought. So our first seven years, we're reptilian brain. It's all emotions. And we're, so we're taking in this world thinking as a child that we know what's going on, but we don't. So we're making meanings for things. So the, the, you know, we start to cry and the mom gives us a side eye and we think that means that we don't, we're not loved. So we stop crying. It's, it's interesting how the brain can literally program itself towards certain behaviors. Mm -hmm. NLP is t teaches us the patterns that the brain does this so that we can reverse engineer them and help people overcome their suffering and trauma. So what we thought we experienced at nine years old can actually be reframed from a different perspective and experienced differently. So when you do this kind of um, education or help, is it group-oriented? Is it a one-on-one -on -one counseling kind of thing? And what's the, is it you read a book about it? All of the above. You can read books about it, which will absolutely overcomplicate it. Mm -hmm. um, people who listen to me teach it and talk about it on the show, they love how simplified I make it. They're like, I've Googled this stuff and it seems super complicated. Then you bring it up and it's like five minutes into it, I understand. I teach it one-on-one. -on -one. I teach it in group settings. My tribe, we call ourselves the Wise Mind Empowerment and Recovery Tribe. Um, I get them together and somebody will bring something up. I'm like, okay, well, let's reframe this from a different perspective using a different language pattern. And I'll literally walk them through the process of how to talk about things differently. It's something as simple as... Oh, I've got to go do this podcast interview, or I get to do this podcast interview, right? It's, it's all the way you use languages sure. to frame things. So I could teach it one-on-one -on -one in group settings. Um, I've, I've learned it and taught it in auditoriums in the whole conference rooms with 100 people. Right, right. So it's, it's, it's all about the way the team, I was taught that if you understand a topic extremely well, you should be able to simplify it so that even a five-year-old can understand it. So I, I, I seek to learn about everything, including sobriety and recovery, at a, lev at a level where I could explain it to a five-year-old, and they could say, oh, okay, well, I understand that. Okay. Good. Yeah, it's fascinating. Uh, the, you know, it's just the mind, we think we understand what reality is, but it's really just the way we talk to ourselves. Oh, there's that little, Michael Singer has a book called The Untethered Soul. It talks about a never, a nonstop talkative roommate inside your head that never shuts up. Problem is, is that that roommate's often not your own voice. It's somebody else's voice, your mom, your dad, your preacher, your teacher, some 
kid at seven years old who bullied you and told you you were a loser. Those are the voices we hear. Our true divine essence, God power, if you will, would never tell us that we're a loser, would never tell us that we're worth nothing. Somebody else's voice doing that. I help people hear the voice that says, I'm a winner. I, I, I deserve to be here and I can do this. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, clearly I'm tapping into a resource that matters because people have let me know that I've helped them. Right. That's awesome. The, I know part of this journey for you has been coming here recently. Yes. I know we met, you came and expressed interest in his way and kind of what this is about and about the Christian aspect of a kind of Christ-centered recovery kind of thing. I'm interested in kind of what you've experienced since you've come here. Why were you attracted to this? What yeah. created your interest in the first place? And then kind of what's happened since you've walked through the doors here? So when so I'm involved in the mind, mindset and mentorship program through the University of Alabama, Department of Mental Health of Alabama, who got me into the CRSS program that led me here. Okay. Now, I was already certified as a CRSS, but then I found out about this program that would take you through a whole semester and teach the material really in-depth, and at the end of it, there would be field placement. Mm-hmm. And that's really why I went into this. I wanted the field placement, because I had noticed when I first got certified, calling up places and asking them if I could come in and counsel or teach, I wasn't getting a lot of positive feedback. So I went through the program knowing the field placement was the, was the whole reason. And so at the end, I'm sitting in this room with the woman who used to run it. Her name's Heidi. And uh, she hands us this sheet. And on there is the list of places in Huntsville. And the first one I noticed was his one. And and immediately I was, just the name alone, my brain first thought, I was like, I bet you this is God related. Is this something about it? And so I asked her, I was like, what's up with his way? And she's like, oh, it's Christ faith-based. I was like, that's it. That's it. That's work. It's got to be there. I was like, she's like, well, make sure you give me other options. Like, there is no other option. This isn't the option. I will only do this one. Because I've rented that Christ faith-based experience. Like, I didn't go to 12 Steps, right? I did some refuge recovery, which is Buddhist-based Dharma kind of stuff. But I didn't do the 12 Steps. I had a bad experience with it in college, and I allowed that to create my own internal representation of what AA was. Um, And I didn't really know much about the faith-based aspect of recovery other than that Lots of times whenever it's been introduced to me by people in recovery, it's a very, no, this is it. This is the only way. You must do it this way. And they're very abrasive. And I was like, I want to go somewhere where I can fully immerse myself in it and I'll step in it with no judgment at all. I don't care how they talk about it. I just want to embrace the way they do it and be a part of their way for while I'm there. Um, and so I was super pumped and into it. And then I come in here and I meet you. Kyle, you're such a great face and ambassador for this program. Um, you're not overbearing. I mean, it's, I, that's not even the right word for it. You're so inviting. This place is so inviting. And that's not how church and God has been interacting with me most of my life. Mm-hmm. As a Southern Baptist, which is what my mother was raised as, when we went to those churches, we were told fire and brimstone and death and hell awaited us no matter what. And then you come in here and it's like, no, it's the light and the divinity and God is here and He's, he's on your side. And I'm like, what? People don't talk like this. Um, all your people here are just amazing. The energy here is fantastic. And the way I hear people talk about God helping them and guide them to their their mission, their meant to be in life, it's like a partnership. It's not, it's not anything like I had been told it would be. Mm-hmm. Not for about His way, but just in general. Right, right, right. And um, I don't know if I've ever experienced and again, I have very little experience. I don't know if I've ever experienced anybody talk about God in faith and recovery the way you and your staff do. And then that transmutes it to all of your clients, all your participants, mm-hmm. the way they are. It's a, I've never felt an energy like I do when I walk into this place. 
Cool. That's awesome. The, the, I guess walk us through a little bit of where you've intersected that. I mean, I know you've come in and you've had a number of different experiences in different kinds of ways. Our effort's been to give you kind of a broad yeah. exposure. So um, anything from a first-time resident, helping a guy come in the program, I know you've helped with that, as well as you know, yeah. sitting in classes and seeing you know guys in different family meetings and all that kind of stuff. Maybe kind of what have you seen? What have been some of the experiences you've had in so those intersections. Well, without using names, because already like three people pop into my head, but there's, <clears throat> there's, you know, one guy in particular. So when you guys had me first come in that very first day, I came in on a Thursday night and I spoke. I gave a quick little timid introduction. And one gentleman in particular sitting in the front left, locked eyes with me, was smiling back, was just very friendly. And so anytime I got nervous or flustered, I would just lock back in with this gentleman. And so when I came back in the next time, I sought him out. I wanted to make sure I, I wanted to become buddies with him. And you know, he had come here for a little bit. He had left abruptly, um, gone back out. Things didn't work out well for him, like we would have assumed. And then he, so he chose to come back. And it's the way he talks about where he was before, the first time he came through versus the next. And the other night um, at the end of my shift, I was out there in the, the lounge where the dogs are, um, he comes up and just starts sharing with me and confiding in me how much the, God's presence in his life has helped him, but also the way that everybody here supports him through that. And it's the, the friendliness nature. It's it's tough because I so I've spoken at I'd say 30, 40 different recovery centers in my day. Mm-hmm. I've never seen a bond created between the members the way I see them created here. And none of them have been faith-based that I've ever walked into. Mm-hmm. So the natural inclination for my mind to draw the connection is, well, this one's faith-based, and look how like it's a brotherly bond that they have while they're here. I've not seen that anywhere else, and none of them were faith-based. So then I can't help but think, well, maybe that's the connection. Right. Um, and it's their, their, they have such a, a keen insight into who they are and the trauma they suffered and how through their faith and through hard work and diligence. And that's a key, too. They're not just like, well, I'm just going to give it to God and everything will work out. It's like, hey, God's on my side, but it's about time I start walking for myself. It's like the mm-hmm. footprints. He'll, he'll pick you up when he needs to, but he really wants you to be walking side by side. Right, right. And these guys are ready to walk side by side. And I can see the light in their eyes. Um, obviously, we understand that the real world out there has its own issues. and it, it, It's going to ebb and flow with them. But I really feel like having that faith-based background will allow them to go to the church or come back here and say, okay, guys, I, I need some help. And I think that's such a powerful thing to know how to ask for help, knowing that it, it will be received with loving arms. Right, right. You know, when you were talking, it reminded me of a passage of Scripture where Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. And he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in spirit. You'll find rest for your soul. It's a picture of I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you rest, but I'm going to do it by kind of coming alongside of you, by yoking with you. We're going to walk this together. Not, I'm going to take over. You get in the back seat, and I'm just going to run your life now. But I'm going to walk with you, and uh, during that. So it's interesting that you mentioned that kind of picture in um, in my scripture kind of yeah. Jesus. I, just, I love how you. I don't know how your brain does, and I'm sure maybe years of doing what you do. But I just love how I can. I've done this with not just you. There's other people around here too, Daryl, and he comes to mind. Where I can say something, and y'all just have like ten Bible verses waiting for it. <laughs> I just think that's super cool because I can barely remember my own quotes that I love, let alone somebody else's. Uh, but even that, like being able to say that, and I hear these gentlemen say things like that, like oh, oh yeah, you know this, you know, I, I can't even name it. James one six. Oh no, wait, you tell me to read Matthew five through seven. So I did that. 
Love that, by the way. Super awesome that you pointed me in that direction. It, one of the gentlemen gave me another Bible, so I've been reading through it and trying to find and Googling Bible verses that will help with addiction recovery and then finding them in the Bible. But the point is, is that uh, I hear them do that as well. And it's awesome that when times get tough and somebody gets emotionally triggered, mm -hmm. their tendency is to go back to what is comfortable. And what's comfortable is their old self. Mm -hmm. And so what you're, what, to me, what you're doing is you're implanting this ability to find some solace and comfort in the Bible they can take something like you just did, a verse, and then that can become their mantra. So when things go a little sideways on them, they can fall back on that verse. They, that can give them power to pattern interrupt themselves out of their old behavior and choose a different path. And I think that that's where other programs may not have that ability to say, well, this is, look, I mean, here, just use this for your strength, right? right? It's sort of like, that. this will help get you to the gym, but when you're in the gym, you need to lift your own weights. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Yeah, I use that illustration a lot. One of the things that, one of the jokes around here is always don't pray for patience. About every one, a couple times a week, somebody says, pray for patience. And they're like, oh, no, don't do that. And, you know, it's all because I always use the illustration. You know, it's like praying for muscles. Well, well guys, going to give you weights. You know, that's that's kind of the answer to your prayer for muscles. That's a great one. You right. pray for muscles, God's going to give you things to lift because that's, that's right. the only way. You're not going to wake up with your muscles. Right. And right. that's something I think is extremely important for everybody, whether you're in addiction recovery or not, to realize that any major change you want to take on in life is going to take time. It's going to take effort. Right. It's going to take discipline. Right. And so you have to have a program that has, has created that energy within you. And I've seen that in just my five, six weeks here. Right. Um, yeah, I love your curriculum. I love your structure. I think it's important people understand structure. And again, everything can be traced back to the Bible. And right. and I really feel like the staff walks the walk, which makes it the the talking of the talk seem congruent. Right. Uh, again, I've been to other places where they'll say one thing, and then I'll go off in the break room with all of them, and then they're, they're no one's than likely were in front of their clients. Right. And I think right. that the client's not an idiot. Right. We're, we're, we're all former addicts. Right. We can see through a line right. of nonsense pretty quickly. Right. So if you if you just don't don't try to shovel nonsense towards an addict, we'll see it. Let me add, last question I want to kind of ask as we kind of wrap this up. I really appreciate. It. Oh, I don't want to be done. Let's keep going. Yeah. <laughs> the, the thing I'm interested in is since you've experienced this now, and you look at the things. I mean, you're obviously very active in what you're doing in recovery. How does this experience um, inform, affect, impact? As you look into what you might do in the future, as you kind of continue to take your journey, how does maybe, and maybe you don't know yet, maybe it's too early in the process, but how did some of the things maybe you've tasted here kind of help with that or impact that in some way? Yeah. You know, I've never been devoutly religious. You know, I got into a time in my, in my LSD hallucinogenic days of my addiction, I got really big into the Bible and would read like Job and Proverbs. And so, and, and naturally, and I said that just so people understand, I do have some background with the Bible, but I've gone to some churches, I've done some of that. You know, I'm a believer that, you know, I definitely believe Jesus died for my sins. I mean, that's, that's not arguable. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's like, that's like historical fact, mm -hmm. right? That's what he said he did. Mm -hmm. That's what he did. Right. Okay, let's right. let's be good with that. So, where I'm at at this point now, it's like, well, where could this aspect of religion, this nurturing, loving God, play a more familiar role with me? Where has it already been? This isn't the first time that God has just randomly shown up in my life and done good things. And so when I first started the podcast, 
one of the big things I talked about was like, there's this is non-denominational. Everything is accepted here, no matter AA, 12 steps, Dharma, you love God, Buddha, Allah, I don't, it doesn't matter. We're all here for sobriety and recovery. You know, I look forward to going out there when people start talking about faith-based programs being whatever negative connotation they might want to throw out. You've heard them. We've all have. To be like, no, no, that's your limited belief about something that you haven't actually researched. And that's and it's showing in your, those comments. Mm-hmm. When I got sober, one of my first best friends in college called me up. He's like, say, found Jesus, did you? I was like, I don't understand the comment. He's like, well, you got sober, so you must have found Jesus. And it's unfortunate that some people think that in order to get sober, you must find Jesus, but it's absolutely an option. And based on what I've noticed here, it's a really good one. Mm-hmm. So when people go to say negative things about faith-based, I'll have this place to call upon. And I look forward to being able to say, oh, no, there's a... I've sung your praises on my show. I've sung your praises to people over the phone. Anybody of like, like, this place is amazing. They need to franchise this thing. They need to have one of these in every city. Mm-hmm. So I don't know where it'll go. I've left that one up to God, whether I stay, you know, working in some capacity with you all, whether I just go off and I just, you know, able to speak eloquently about God and faith-based, Christ-based programs. I, I don't know, but I'd, I know that I'm here for a more higher purpose than just I randomly saw your name on a piece of paper. Right, right. And, uh, you know, the beautiful thing about life is that we have no idea where it's taking us. As long as I feel like you wake up every day looking to make yourself a little bit better, then, uh, yeah, that's where the I'm getting chills. And in my podcast, when I get chills, it's because I know I'm saying something that means something. Mm-hmm. I just really believe that uh, there's a reason why all this happens, and there's a reason why everybody found you. And whatever that is, it's, uh, again, I'm not going to just give it to God but I'll definitely stand side by side with them and walk with them. And let's see, uh, let's see where it can go. Amen. Well, thank you, Jesse. Thanks for sharing with us. I really appreciate thank you. this time. I'm excited about the journey. I'm excited that we have joined at this point. I hope that our journey remains for a long time to come and that, that God may use this in special ways in both our lives to help yeah. us become more of what he would have us to be. Yeah, so thank you. Thank you. You do, a, you do amazing work here. Thanks. It's uh, it's an honor to have been accepted so lovingly by you and the rest of your staff and by the members here. It's it means a great deal to me to have been uh, just this associated so far. Where I can't wait to see where it goes. Good. Thank you. Well, thanks for watching today. Um, if you'd like to learn more about His Way, you can check out our website at hiswayinc.org. <laughs>